another episode of But Why. This week I am joined by author and mental health expert Maisie Hill. Now Maisie's first book, Period Power, was an absolute game changer for me and I know game changer is thrown around quite a lot but seriously as soon as I started understanding how my cycles work and what impact that had on every aspect of my life it really changed the way I thought about periods and then recently I saw that Maisie had written another book um, called Perimenopause Power and I'll be honest I saw it and I thought oh that will be interesting for years to come. And then when I received the book and opened the first page in which Maisie talks through some of the symptoms associated with perimenopause, including changing cycles that can either be getting longer or shorter, um, feeling like you want to change your entire life and feeling all the rage all the time, it became pretty apparent to me that I might well already be in the perimenopause. So for those who don't know, perimenopause is the 15 years before you actually go through your menopause, go through the menopause. So for me, that makes sense and that I would be in perimenopause. And actually, my initial reaction was to freak out because that means the end of something, I guess the end of my fertility, even though I don't want any more babies. And actually, that is the crux of today's conversation, how we need to move on from almost living in fear of menopause as a terrible chapter of our life and try and see it as a new chapter, but one which we can embrace and that can be brilliant. So without further ado, let's listen to this episode. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Hectic. Sorry, I mean, Bob, we, you came straight into a heavy conversation, so the vibe might have been a bit weird. <laughs> no, I have a lot of heavy conversations generally, so yeah, they don't feel so heavy to me because I'm just always having them. Yeah, I know. The thing is, once you start, you never stop, do you? Yeah, exactly. How are you doing, though? I'm I'm all right. I'm, yeah, it's, I'm a bit wobbling. I don't know why. And I'm on like cycle day. Five? Should I be feeling a bit more sane yet? Oh no, I think that's a good time for wobbling. Do you? Yeah, that's often like days five to seven, I find, or when people have wobbles. Ah, that's good to know. Because I was like, oh, you should be out of this now. You should be like, the lights should be coming on a bit bit more. But I've... Well, that's not helpful. No. Like that kind of expectation, I would say. No, no, I know, but... (sighs) I mean, this is literally going to go straight into it. So I am, yeah, 39, just. And I've been talking to one of my friends, like I'm I'm pretty sure I am headed into the perimenopausal phase where you get to the point that like your hormones really do start dictating so much of your cycle. And I think, feel like I have PMS for like a whole week before. Then you've got this now. And then you're like, wow, this is, and my cycle is shorter so it feels like there's not much respite. No, that's how it goes. It's like once you start that process, you know, because we typically think about menopause as like your periods get further apart and then eventually they stop. But often what can happen is that they speed up. And, you know, because the cycle, as in the start of one period to the start of the next period, because that timeline gets shorter. Yeah. It's like you're whipping round very quickly and it can feel like there's not much respite, particularly if you have a tricky period or you do have a lot of PMS or like other cycle-based symptoms going on. And it, it just has this speeding up effect, which mm. you know can be a bit disconcerting, but I think it can actually also be quite useful because, you know, the menstrual cycle can really work you as a person, as a human, and like, Mm. that's not always comfortable. And it can be very confronting, especially in perimenopause. That's a very confronting time. So, you know, yes, it's uncomfortable, but it's, I do think it's serving a purpose. I do. I know exactly what you mean. So, yeah, I mean, where do I ever go to 
bladder back can you explain to people because i i put this out on instagram and, and lots of people were like what is it or i've only just heard about it can you explain what we're even talking about to begin with yes that's a good starting point <laughs> so when we think about menopause we tend to think oh that's something that happens in your 50s and so we kind of dismiss it and think oh well I'll approach it when I land in that territory. And menopause itself is actually only one day. So menopause marks the one year anniversary of your last menstrual period. So let's say you stop, you have your last period when you're 50, 12 months later to the day, you go through menopause. That's one day. And then after that, you're post-menopausal. 51 is like the average age in the UK, but it can be earlier, it can be later. But then the years that come before that, where you start to experience changes with your menstrual cycle, changes to your periods, um, and you start to get what we would call menopausal symptoms, that's called perimenopause. And that can actually start uh, in your 30s, that process of hormonal shifts. So, you know, it is very much a process. And I think it's helpful to think of it in that way, Mm. that it is a journey. There's going to be different stages to it. What works for you well at one point might not work well at another, um, which, you know, can be very frustrating. But that's why I wrote the book to just Mm. really try and demonstrate the variety of strategies that are out there and, you know, to kind of, I suppose, to have a flexible approach to it. Yeah, because you, especially because of of the the kind of headspace I'm in, but because we have kid, tend to have kids later now, you feel, my feeling is you, you kind of bounce out of these baby years and now literally just as I feel like, oh, I'm catching my breath, my, you know, getting some sleep, regular cycles, feeling actually like me for the first time in, in my case, like eight years. And then you're like, oh, here we go. And I think, I, I mean, it's something I had in the episode on womanhood with Catelyn Moran and, it's really something I've only just got my head around that as women, we really, really are constantly evolving. You get, you go through one bit and then you're onto another and, and that can be, it's quite, it's disconcerting, but I guess we have to try and reframe it as a bit of a gift, haven't we? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, a lot of the work I do is helping women and people with cycles to develop resilience around their cycle and around their hormones and to develop some of those tools that serve you no matter what's going on. Um, And for me, that's really key because it is ongoing, you know, from the time Mm -hmm. when we start being influenced by hormones and by our cycles all the way through our reproductive years and then postmenopausally as well. There's, you know, terrific changes going on. They're not necessarily always going to feel terrific, but they are significant And that's why I'm so passionate about having these kinds of conversations Mm -hmm. and making it clear that there are reasons why you might be feeling a certain way. And just knowing that is key because so many people I speak to are in perimenopause and don't realize that they are. Mm -hmm. And they're having conversations with their GPs and perimenopause hasn't, and the hormone side of things isn't in the conversation because they don't know and maybe their GPs don't know because there's a lot of misinformation for everyone Mm. around this topic. Um, But even, you know, I was speaking to a client of mine the other day who's been having quite significant symptoms, uh, like she's been having palpitations and she knows she's in perimenopause. Yeah. And she said to her GP, you know, do you think it could be hormonal because I'm perimenopausal? Oh, no, 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 no. And, you know, went off and spoke to two cardiologists, raised it with them, and they just dismissed it. And, you know, we were like, um, yes, hormones influence heart health. They influence what's going on with, you know, your experience of your heartbeat for sure. And, you know, she was just enraged quite rightly. I mean, it's so interesting, isn't it? I'm, I'm thinking as I'm listening to you, because as per your, your previous book, Period Power, we... I don't think I can only speak for myself. I I knew enough early enough about periods that therefore when we get to this stage, we've got even more learning to do, you know, until you really do get in touch with your body and understand quite how bigger influences has, it's going to feel like a constant shock because as you've touched on before, it really does impact everything, physical health, mental health, 
your appetite, your energy levels, yeah. your sociability, your productivity. It's it's absolutely wild, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, as you've already mentioned, by this stage in life, we're doing a lot. Yeah. You know, we might have young families, we might have, you know, teenagers, we might have, you know, especially at the moment, older members of our family who we're caring for or concerned mm. about. We've got friends who are going through things, you know, divorces are plenty, there's, you know, financial struggles, career mm. changes, like everything. All it's so true. In the midst of these hormonal shifts. And what I find is that we are so socialized into putting ourselves last that, you know, that's such a huge part of this conversation that we're just not caring for ourselves often on a very basic level, like eating regularly, getting enough sleep, like weeing when you feel the urge to have a wee, you know, like really simple ways. We just don't prioritize ourselves. And that comes through in the experience of perimenopause with not making doctor's appointments. I mean, there's lots of reasons why someone might not do that beyond uh, not making the time or prioritizing themselves. But Mm -hmm. I just think it's really important because like you said, this is a time when we need information, but often like there's 30 other things on our list Mm. to be doing before we consider that. So a, a big part of this is saying I matter. I feel really emotional even just saying that for myself, but you know, I matter enough to take the time to look at this. Well, this is the, this is the, the cycle of it. If we're told that what we're sensing is, is not significant. If the rage that you're like, that's the one that really stuck with me in capital letters in your book, all the rage all the time. But you go, oh, you know, this is just a comment on me and you tune it out and you don't know that it's something or or if you're not tracking your cycles and you're not seeing that there's been that little shift where, the, where it's reduced because you, you're too busy. I mean, there's, again, I think it was Catelyn Moran about how women in their 40s really are holding the world up in some ways. As yeah. you say, you're, you're, it's often this this moment when you've still got a young, because of when we have kids now, you've still got a young family, but you've probably got older um, relatives as well. And it's that, it's a, it's a um, disconcerting moment when you're, you're, yeah, you're caring for everybody. Yeah. And, and the, the quickest and easiest place to take that from is yourself yeah a hundred percent and one of like a tip that I picked up for one of my clients that I just loved is she's just using the phrase I'm not available for that more often and it's just so good you know like her partner comes to her and talks about the uh who's going to look after their kid that day or just you know the parenting challenges that come in and she's just at certain points particularly in her cycle saying oh I'm not available for that today and and that needs to extend to emotionally available. I think yeah. um, a shift over the last year that I've really seen through through COVID is that my friendship group has hugely reduced, and I think that's for a number of reasons. I think that I'm when we're all depleted, you can only really show up as your true kind of haggard version of yourself to a few people. But also, I've had to when everybody needs saving, which they have done in the last year. I've only really got a capacity for people I could count on one hand beyond the people who live within my the walls of my home. Yeah. And I think I think it's especially when I'm going off on the rant now, but with social media you you end up and both in, in the work that both of us do, you're holding space for all these people. You've got to know when your availability is tapped out. Yeah. And I think that's really important, you know, for me and probably for you as well, as like when you're kind of leading a community of sorts, whether it's like I do in my membership or it's the people on Instagram. And I think it's, for me, it's always so important to show that vulnerability and Mm. to be clear. And, you know, I know there's a lot of conversation in the online space about like, well, why do women always do this? Men don't do it and things. But like for me, I feel comfortable doing that. And there's definitely been times in the last year and even before where I've had to be really honest with myself and think, well, why am I hustling here? And like noticing that I'm putting myself under pressure unnecessarily and entirely self-created, by the way, it hasn't come from anywhere else. (laughs) It all comes down to 
you know, being honest with ourselves about what we're up for. And the thing is, I think one of the great gifts of perimenopause and going through this process is that you eventually stop giving a shit about what other people think of you so much. And, you know, I think estrogen as a hormone makes us care a lot about other people you know, which makes sense in terms of the cycle, because when estrogen's peaking, that's around the time when we're most fertile. So, you know, being able to be social and to put on a smile and flirt and and chat and all the things that uh, would possibly lead to having sex, you know, it's, we can see how estrogen is driving that kind of behavior. And this is why I find myself and, you know, most of the clients that I work with or the conversations I have with people is that that's the point in the cycle where we are able to say yes to things. So maybe you have a friend who sends you a text saying, I'm really struggling. Can we go for a walk or can we talk Mm -hmm. on the phone? And you might go, yeah, because like you feel that need to connect with another human maybe quite strongly in that point in your cycle, or it Mm -hmm. feels maybe more quote unquote natural to do so. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, a week later when you've got a different hormonal picture going oh, on, no. why the fuck did I agree to that? Yeah. I don't <laughs> want to see anyone ever. care about them any less, but it just means that you're in a different place and you don't have that kind of people-pleasing aspect of estrogen there. So then when you're going through the menopausal process and estrogen starts to decline, it, you're more able to sit in your own strengths, I think, of like what yeah. matters to you and be more honest with yourself and be more honest in communication with others about where you're at and just to be able to go, nah, I can't do that. No, not, yeah, not available. Or apologizing. Cause this is the thing we're like so socialized to explain ourselves, to apologize. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's such a gift of perimenopause is that we stop doing that. So this is interesting to me because um, I'm a massive. Do you ever listen to Fortunately with Fee and Jane? Yes. And I'm such a fangirl of theirs because I don't think we've been we've had those kind of role models before. Of, of you know when I whenever I'm feeling a bit wobbly about growing older, I listen to them, and they're not hugely older. They're just that bit a bit ahead. I'm just like, oh no, this is going to be absolutely excellent. Like I want to be more like that. I want yeah. to be more confident in who I am or less apologetic and less beholden to any kind of like ideals and so but because we are we aren't showing those women very much I think when I was asking Instagram there's this this feeling of like this marks the beginning of the end into some some kind of abyss and that really really no it's when we get to become more badass yeah, completely. And like real, I think this is when our desires can really come through. And, you know, some of my clients are just feeling so creative. They're not necessarily creative people like artists or anything like that, but they're really able to tune into what matters to them more than anything else. And they're suddenly like, there is that sense of urgency, mm. you know, can come from the process of the cycle speeding up that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can come from, I suppose, facing mortality and thinking, well, what am I going to do with my years left? But I just, you know, the clients that I have who are going through that are suddenly just like a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene in Fleabag actually with, I can't think what the actress oh, is. So good. Yeah. And, and then she goes, this massive ramble, doesn't it? And then she says, and then you are free. Yeah. And, and I was just like, it gives me goosebumps because I absolutely know, you know, if if puberty really is about becoming a kind of sexualized being and then you're in your fertility years, which is about becoming a mother, and then finally you're just doing it just for yourself. And that is like, that's massive. Yeah, and it's a massive, I think that can be, you know, hugely transformational and so important. I think the challenge can come in with how does this fit in within family life or like your work oh, yeah. <laughs> with my, my actual life responsibilities yeah. because I can't just go to Ibiza with my friends and like, sit, I don't know, chant at the moon or whatever yeah. I would deeply like to do. <laughs> yeah. So it calls for those conversations to be had. And I, I remember specifically, actually you put up an Instagram post at some point. I can't remember when it was, but it had a, I really logged it in my mind of, you know, like 
when you look back at the last year and what we've all had to kind of face in our families and things and looking at uh, caring for kids, both being able to work, like, you know, we have to be willing to feel uncomfortable in having those conversations. And that's not to say that the conversations can't be positive or uh, even enjoyable, but often we avoid them because we're scared of them. Yeah. yeah. What is this? It's a great line, isn't it? It's not my line, but if, if a conversation feels uncomfortable, then it's probably worth having. Yeah. And that is like, that is, that is it. And you have to, again, I think this is my, for me, like my female friendship group, and I'm talking really, really small. We're, I think we're show, we're being more authentic with each other in the last year than we've ever been. And if you, you need to have people that you can test that out with, that you can say, you know, I'm feeling this about my relationship or about my career or about even with my kids and before it becomes a, a public thing. But you, you have to let it out of your head. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise you drive yourself mad. Yeah. And I think even like I've noticed uh, recently that I'm trying to be more honest with my son, you know, particularly at like this point in the lockdown or well, the kids have just gone back. But yeah, thank goodness. Uh, yeah. But you know, he will be saying, do you, want to, do you want to play Lego with me? No. And I've just been going, I don't, but I will. Yeah. You know, so and I don't always, you know, sometimes I'll be like, no, I don't. I'm going to sit down and have a cup of tea. You can play Lego if you want. I'll be mm. here. Yes. But, you know, being honest with him, because I think it's important for those who are born male, being socialized as boys to know that women aren't always available for them. Because it, it's so true. There's an whole. There is times when, like, I'm inadvertently and basically hiding from my children. Yeah, and, I have a little laundry cupboard that's tiny. Yeah. I can just squeeze into and shut the door. And you don't. I don't even know that I'm doing it, but I find myself like literally getting fur- into the furthest corner that I can. <laughs> and and they're like, "Mummy, will you play with me?" You're like, "Oh, I'd rather pull my, like scratch my eyes out." But then another week, of course, I want to sit there and do craft with them and dance with them and do it all and. Yeah, of course it is. But if you add on this guilt, like it's not a reflection of me as a mother that I, that it's, you know, a couple of days a month, I really can't bring myself to be out of my body and playing with them. If you add that kindness to yourself, it, it just, it shifts everything. And as you say, they do, they do need to know about that, don't they? Yeah. And for, like what you just mentioned about having that self-compassion towards ourselves and not judging ourselves, not criticizing ourselves for it. Like that's what the work is, I think, at any age. But, you know, if we're not doing that in our 30s, if we haven't done it in our 40s, then that's where the work is. Yeah. So do you think I'm also wondering, like, I, I get a lot of messages, you know, people saying, oh, I saw how awful it was for my mother and... I just don't want it to be like that. And we do, we only hear horror stories. There has to be another way through this. It, it, it has to be better if we're talking about it, surely. I think so. You know, and I think this is, the, you know, the conversation around periods and miscarriage and fertility and things that has really shifted in like five years or so. It has. And I think because of that, those of us who were kind of in our 30s and starting to have those conversations are now entering our 40s or we're tiptoeing our way into perimenopause. Mm-hmm. So the, the conversation is shifting and it and it is happening more publicly, which is wonderful. Um, and in that, I think we are kind of uh, looking at how we think of perimenopause because you're right most of us you know I certainly have memories of having a highly irritable mother as Mm -hmm. when I was a teenager and you know when I spoke to her about her experience uh, a few years ago and it was very challenging and if that's all your experience is of perimenopause then of course you're going to dread it. Because actually, you touched touched on this in the book. You've suddenly got you've probably got teenagers at the same point that you're going through this. I mean, it's just like a hormone, yeah, madness. You know, dealing with a <laughs> two year old <laughs> asking you why, why, why all the time <laughs> when you just have to go and hide in the laundry cupboard. Yeah, <laughs> but what's mummy doing? Mummy's just hanging out in the laundry cupboard. Leave me to it. <laughs> 
But it's hard, you know, because I I have a lot of sensory challenges, like generally, but particularly in the second half of my cycle, those are really acute, and I'm having to practice like quite. Uh, I would, I mean, yeah, radical self care in that half of the cycle, just to like for me to be okay in myself. In fact, I messaged you last night, didn't I, to ask if we could touch on this. So during the writing of this book, you also got diagnosed as uh, autistic. Or how did the timeframes work on that? So I, um, I stopped drinking alcohol just before my first book came out. So I had noticed that my, I experienced a Uh, kind of short-term depression very quickly after drinking and I don't have to drink much like literally two sips and I feel it for days and before the first book came out I was like you know what I don't know when I'm going to get called to do an interview or something and I want to be on top of my game so I'm just going to not drink for a few months whilst this is going on Mm -hmm. and then it felt great not to drink so I just kept going with it and it's now been I don't know, over two, yeah, two years it must be. Is that right? Two years? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, but because of that, what I noticed happening is when I was out in social settings, I would feel like anxious, I suppose. And I couldn't figure out why. And then I started to realize, because I remember posting on Instagram once, like trying to figure out what to wear to London. And lots of people sent me messages saying, you'll look great, whatever you're wearing. And I was suddenly like, oh, but it's not about what I look like. It's about how I how I will feel. Wow. So I started to piece it all together that actually I was feeling anxious in advance because I didn't know what the temperature of a place would be like. And I know that if I'm too hot or too cold uh, or something is off like that, then I can't do my job and I can't speak to a room of people because it just distracts me so much. So I like noticed things like that. Then I noticed... Um, that when I was in social settings without drinking, I was so aware of audio input and it was too much and that I would struggle to have conversations with people. I would struggle to make small talk. And I mean, autistic people tend to have special interests and I'm very fortunate because my special interest is periods and hormones and everyone wants to talk to me about that. (laughs) So that's overwhelming opportunities. But if we just were to make small talk, I would be lost, confused, you know, lots of things. And, um, you know, if you'd have told me two years ago, do you think you're autistic? I would have laughed you out the door because I'm highly empathetic. I, you know, I can't, I connect with other humans, but that's just a kind of a myth about what being autistic is like, you know, that might be the experience for some people, but not for all. Now for a quick advert for my book, But Why? How to Answer Tricky Questions from Kids by Having an Honest Conversation with Yourself. And now Maisie is actually one of the contributors to the book. I answer the question, but why is there blood in the toilet? And actually for my poor husband, Ben, it was him who had to answer that question when my then five-year-old asked. You'd think it's obvious how to go about framing that, but actually it's very complicated, menstruation and fertility and reproduction, especially if you're caught as you're trying to have a shower first thing in the morning. So anyway, the book is available to pre-order now via the link in my bio. I also wanted to give you a little tip off for one of my favourite podcasts, which is actually done by a friend of mine, Zoe Blasky. Her podcast, The Motherkind Podcast, has just hit 1.5 million downloads, which is super impressive. Well done, Zoe. I love the space that Zoe has carved out and the way she talks about the challenges of modern motherhood I find her tone so reassuring and considered and also really thought-provoking Mother Kai podcast is released every Thursday and available on all your favorite podcast platforms so really do go check it out well am I right in thinking that with a lot of these things it's really hard to um to diagnose in women because you become masters of, of masking it which feels like it relates to the hormone conversation because we've, we've become masters of pretending that we're not on a cycle when yeah. we are a hundred percent and that's the thing I just I could get by in situations I could put that mask on which you know is probably familiar to most people whether or not you're autistic or not but um yeah I just kind of started to question like could I be because I found out someone I know was autistic and I realized I had a professional blind spot and not knowing how it presents in females 
So I started researching it and then I was like looking at this list of things and I started reading out to my partner in bed one night and he said, I don't know what you're reading, but this is you. you. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I kind of self-diagnosed myself and then, you know, I was busy writing perimenopause power in the first lockdown. And I think because I am autistic and I can process information very quickly and I can kind of make sense of it. And, and, and also, you know, because this is like my passion, yeah. it was like a great coping. It's a, it's a great coping mechanism for mm-hmm. me that when I am feeling anxious about that, if I get to write and I get to do this, then that's a way that I can regulate myself. Mm-hmm. So it really helped me to be able to write the book. But then once I'd done the book, that's when I thought, okay, now I can look at going about getting a like quote unquote diagnosis. I mean, it's not an illness, but for, for want of a better word, we call it a diagnosis. Um, it's very expensive to do that privately in the UK. Really? Yeah. It's like three, four grand to do it. Oh. Yeah. So I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't find a way to do it. And, uh, eventually someone who had been assessed for ADHD recommended someone, uh, who specializes that was like a lot costed a lot less. Uh, so I took the plunge and yeah, and he confirmed everything. And, and how does that sit with you? How does that, yeah. How does that sit with you? I mean, just instantly everything made sense. Wow. Through the assessment process, the questions he asked me and the things that we explored, I was suddenly like, oh, you know, look back on things in life and go, okay, that was why, or that's what's going on. And I mean, it was a lot to process. And there was definitely a few weeks where I was struggling with it and, Mm -hmm. and finding it very challenging. But now, um, it's, you're still figuring it out, but it's, I know why things are there and I'm able to uh, regulate myself better, communicate when I'm struggling better and be more upfront with people as well. Cause I've been mm-hmm. transparent and telling the world on Instagram that that's what's mm-hmm. going on. And on days where I do struggle to make eye contact, I'll just say to someone, look, I'm feeling very autistic today. Not that you can be, yeah. you know, you're either autistic yeah. or you're not, but there are days where I will feel my experience of being autistic more strongly, but I'm um, able to be upfront and just say, look, like, you know, today we're talking, I can see your face on, on our call, but if it was another day, I might have said to you, yeah. do you mind if we just do audio? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, it just all ties into the same conversations. Like it, it feels like no coincidence that, because I think you are a similar age to me. How old yeah, are you? So I turned 40. Yeah. And it it just felt like suddenly I couldn't keep up the pretense anymore. You know, like all the emotions I was feeling, the stuff I struggled with that previously I could have figured out on my own. I was just, I think it was like part of kind of feminist awakening, maybe to my hormones. Like I'm not going to fucking do this anymore for anyone. But also that, yeah, just the process of starting perimenopause, I suppose, and my hormones waking me up to that. Yeah. And yeah, but it, as you say, it, it so lands in the thing of taking the time to have the, because you could always put it to the bottom of the list and you, you could, you know, especially when there's money involved, you could say, oh, I'm not kind of worth spending the money on and why do I need to? And I've got this far, but it, again same as perimenopause or you just once you understand it it's not going to change anything like these aren't illnesses we can't yes that's what's interesting isn't it neither of them are actual illnesses no and we can't there's no cure you have to sit through it and live with it but you can do so with greater understanding and with greater compassion and that must feel brilliant yeah I think it's like very liberating for me to be able to talk about things and to have like to have this conversation with you today. Like it just feels yeah. great to be like, well, this is me. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Fine either way. Like yeah. I'm on board with me. You don't have to be, but let's just show up as ourselves, shall we? Exactly. It, it, yeah, exactly. Do you think um it's not at all the same, but I'm I'm dyslexic and I can definitely relate to days when 
if my stress is gone, then like I literally can't spell anything. And I also bump into everything, which is more dyspraxic. But, um, and, and I used to then like put a bad spelling on Instagram and then just feel like a terrible person and spiral. And, and now when people call me out on it, I'm just like, I'm dyslexic. I do try and pick it up, but sometimes my, I could read something a hundred times and, and not see it. And I'm not available for the shame on top of that anymore. I'm yeah. not available to go, uh, you know, it's not a reflection of being lazy or stupid or, no, yeah. and that's the thing I think is like when we can get to that place of just accepting ourselves mm -hmm. then actually other people start to accept us more because like we just decide that we're not available for the shame spiral that follows. We're just like, no, making that decision. And, you know, like I lose my verbal skills, which is like really scary, but I have noticed in the last year that I when I'm not regulated and when I am experiencing that stress and my autism is like really there, I just lose the ability to talk. And it's, you know, there are things called autistic shutdowns and autistic meltdowns. And with a shutdown, you basically just need to lie down and not say anything and not have to interact with someone else and to just regulate yourself. And I remember, you know, I live in Margate trying to order some fish and chips with my son and getting to the counter and I couldn't order the fish and chips. And oh. it was just like, even now I can, you know, just so frustrating. Like a physical feeling in your brain or in like no words, but I just like couldn't get them out. And at the time I didn't know what it was because I hadn't learned about that. And I didn't, and I knew it was because I was autistic and because I was struggling that day. But I, I still didn't understand why. And I just, it really like, paralyzed me, I think. Mm. Made me really cautious about like booking in podcasts and things because I feel like, shit, what? Well, I can't talk. To talk. Um, whereas now that hasn't happened in a while because I'm able to spot it sooner, but I'm able to spot it sooner because I'm aware and mm -hmm. prioritizing me. Mm. And yeah, that, that that's just a good. Do you think it is triggered by your cycle? Do you have? Do yeah. you one hundred percent? And I mean, because I was writing the book, and because it's been locked down, I haven't been able. I've had to really hold myself back from diving deep into the research when it comes to autism. Um, I suspect there's not going to be much when it comes to the cycle and the influence of hormones, but like there's a huge crossover in, I already know this in the autistic community and the experience of the cycle and conditions like premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is like described as an extreme form of PMS. So, you know, there is that crossover, but for me, it's huge. Like I know as soon as I ovulate just now, if I wasn't paying attention to anything else, just based on how I respond to sensory input. And so what does that, what's that like that, every, that everything's too much? Yeah. Noise, yeah. different things, you know, different audio inputs at the same time. Like if my son's trying to talk to me whilst the kettle's on. Oh, like yeah. or TV. Like, yeah. So I remember so I just like ordered some headphones that you're, you're meant to put in your ears that reduce the decibels that you actually hear. So I'm, I'm trying to experiment more with these things because you know, sometimes we can just walk out the door or lock ourselves in a room, but um, it's not practical all of the time. So, you know, there's various ways that I am learning to regulate myself and like coach myself through situations. But sometimes we just need to be away from the other humans. <laughs> and also like with all these things, once you've got some, once you have the knowledge, once you have the things that might help you, when you're kind of in control, because in actually kind of headed towards the end, as you, you touched on earlier, but the things you can do to help yourself, like simplify your life, set boundaries, improve sleep. These are like, these are just advice for a good life, aren't they? Yeah, there it is. But I think we can up until a certain point, we can get away with not doing those things. Yes. And then so at some point, it's non-negotiable. It's so true. I um, ha did a podcast with um, the holistic psychologist. Do you follow her? Yeah. 
and and she was talking about this the dark night of the soul and that it, it's coming to all of us and and you know for many of us that that shows up as some kind of mental health um collision but she's like if not it will show up in your physical health you might think yeah. that you are cruising through things but you can't like live in a stress state putting rubbish in your body not sleeping not moving it yeah. it will it does it just does it, it isn't sustainable it isn't. And I think what's really key about that and what I see like in my clients in the Flow Collective all the time is them talking about how just one simple change has shifted so much for them and that these things are usually very available to us. Like sometimes <laughs> we need to invest in a practitioner or we need to make a kind of a larger investment, but often it's leaving Absolutely. your phone out of your bedroom and not looking after yes. looking at your emails just as you're going to sleep or uh, moving your body in a way that feels good, not skipping meal. You know, th- these are simple things, as I said, and they're available to most of us, thankfully. Um, I think that's what I wanted people to realize with my book is that these options are there. Yeah. You know, and there's and- a wide variety of them that are going to suit different situations, but we just need to know what we can do. Yeah, it's it's so true. When to keep my mental health on track, I like have these, you know, a collection of things that when when I feel like things are going off, I I try and try and put in, you know, I really focus on them, you know, sleep exercise, all the obvious things, and, and no one of them is going to come in and solve it. But what I do is I do- shift the dial on all of them, and then lo and behold, you're like, ah, yeah, this is feeling that little bit better. Um, and you're so right to touch on technology. That is the one staring all of us in the face. You know when you're like feeling a bit rolling. rubbish. Yeah, and you're feeling a bit rubbish and it, you're just going deeper and deeper in it. Put your phone away and it, it's like, yeah, it's so obvious, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But I think, you know, what you've touched on there, Clemmy, is that having that level of awareness knowing that there are simple things and and deciding that that's what you're going to do in advance mm-hmm. so that you know that you have a plan. And that's what I often teach my clients. It's like, if your plan on day 21 is that you're going to cry and you're going to feel low and you're going to be on the sofa, then make that the plan so that when you get there, you're not judging yourself for doing yeah. things. I mean, make a thing of it, you know, like... Yeah, go all in can... on feeling like yeah. shit, but like feel like shit in a very loving way to yourself. Yeah. Instead of feeling like shit and then telling yourself that you shouldn't and that you should be happy all the time, which is just not true. And, you know, that other people don't feel this way. And like, we just create all this story around an emotion and, you know, all emotions are equal. You know, we talk about positive emotion, negative emotion, they're all equal. And, you know, when you can, when you know that you can experience and process any emotion, you're unstoppable. You know, you can do anything in life when you're up for feeling any emotion. It's it's like, isn't it mad that this we have to be taught this this stuff that I keep saying it on a load of episodes that I do, but I look particularly at my daughter and she's just she's in all of it. She's got it. And when we we beat it out of ourselves and then we claw it back. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how it goes. It's like unlearning. We, we just do it instinctively when we're kids and then we're socialized to not do that. And then we unlearn some of that and that's the process. Which actually um, leads me nicely onto the last three questions I'm going to ask you. Number one is where people can find you. And this is your chance to do your big push on your book. <laughs> so perimenopause power is out. Uh, unless you're in North America, then it's a couple of months away. Um, uh, so that's available and, you know, it's just got so much in there. It's so funny because, you know, I think my original contract was like for 80, 70 or 80,000 words. And when the lockdown started, I spoke to my publishers and they're just so amazing. And they said, you know, if it's 60, it's okay. We just want this book to be out there. People need it. And I was like, okay, fine let's go for 60 and it ended up being like over a hundred thousand. Yeah. It's really dense. It's really, really dense. But also you've written a book that will just now sit on my bedside table probably till I'm whatever, 50, because 
there's bits of it that is relevant now as I'm dipping my toe into it. And there's bits that, you know, HRT really isn't where I'm at yet. So I'm not really interested, but it's like, it's, it's a real, it's a manual for trying to wriggle through this bit. And yeah. that, what you're adept at is it's packed with loads of like sciencey research, but that is matched up with loads of really human relatable stuff i was trying to think you, you put some just brilliant like tv references and things in there which i absolutely love <laughs> that's the thing it's like i love making the scientific literature accessible to everyone like that's i think a superpower of mine is the ability to do that and i love the yeah. opportunity to do that and i think you know as you said it is a book that will see you through this process but if you have that information now, then you can make decisions in advance. And I think that's what's been really key for me going through this process personally um, is that I have been able to think like, well, yeah, when I do hit this point where maybe these kinds of things are going on, what am I going to do? And that just means that I'm not spending time in indecision, which is just exhausting and like wondering what if and oh, should I do that? And oh, this person said this and so-and-so said that. And you're just like, ugh just make a decision and then move on with life. So that's what I really want people to be able to do from reading the book. So yeah, the book's out there and you can find me on Instagram underscore Maisie Hill underscore. There's one at either end. <laughs> yeah. Put Maisie Hill in, you'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, and MaisieHill.com is where you can find all other information about me and the Flow Collective. Good, you did that. You did that, but really well. I'm full of. I'm aware that I'm going to have to do my kind of book stuff soon, and I'm really not got got the um got that down. But I'm thinking also when you're talking about this clouding bit, it really does remind me of those early parenting years because you're. You know, I look back now on when my when I was pregnant, when I was in labour, and in, in, with a newborn, and the, the decisions I should or could or might have liked to have made are so obvious. But when you're literally up to your eyes in hormones it's so hard to think clearly so it's so good to be an advocate for yourself in advance yeah because if you wait to the point where you do have brain fog or your cognitive uh kind of abilities have declined a bit maybe because estrogen's lowering and uh maybe you are going through mood changes or you are exhausted and all of these very real symptoms it's harder to make decisions and have a plan of action when you're in that place. So if, you know, just as you said, like with your mental health, if you have a plan when that happens and you're like, oh, it's happening, what do I do? Yeah. Same for perimenopause. And as you say, it's like sometimes it's putting one foot in front of the other or starting a very small decision. Like I think for me, when I'm in this kind of hormone places, it's thinking, I mean, there's a part in, in my cycle where I want to change my entire life. And then you go, oh, no, maybe it's not my entire life. Maybe I would just like to go to bed half an hour earlier and then tomorrow this won't feel <laughs> so drastic. <laughs> so awful. So funny, but I do, I experience that as well. And I feel like I call it the big walk away. <laughs> I can't I'm remember if it. I it up from someone else or not. I can't remember. <laughs> I could remember so I could attribute them. Anyway. Um, yeah, I do just want to walk away from everything. I just want to walk out the door. And like, if I'm parenting on that day, that's when I'm like, right, what adventure can we do today? But that's out of the house. And like, what? I just like, yeah, want that's to true. down the coast. And I want to feel the wind in my head. Like, I just need that sense of wildness and freedom and choice in the matter, <laughs> rather than feeling like life's just happening to me. Yeah, it's so true. You, I mean, again, Catelyn Moran talks about becoming a hag as you get older and, and in the most positive way. Like you just want, yeah, as I said, go and howl at the moon. I want to go and stand on a beach and, and be really mental. And there's something deeply in your core. And yeah, so of course, sitting down to do phonics, it doesn't really, uh, like, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't take that urge. But again, to know, to feel safe about that, I, I, yeah, I want to ditch my whole life, and <laughs> and then actually maybe tomorrow you won't, and that's okay. Yeah, but I think that's the thing is when you know that, then you can perhaps build that into that point in the cycle. But you can also build it into all of the cycle because, like, when that shows up on one day, it's actually there all the time. 
It's so, so it's like looking at are my needs and desires being fulfilled at other times as well, or is it all just getting pinpointed onto this one or two or three mm. days and it's feeling so intense and overwhelming? Actually, if we're tending to these needs all the time, then it's not as severe. Dramatic. Yeah, that's such good advice. Um, and then my two last questions are like the kind of ethos of everything I do is is having honest conversations about tricky stuff. And I wanted to know whether honesty is something that you value, and if it is, why? It is. Do you know what? I've actually got it tattooed around my wrist. Have you? Look, oh, this one. All these tattoos. Honesty. That's what it says at the bottom of that sleeve, and then this <gasps> one, passion, <laughs> which I kind of laugh about now. Um. But yeah, honesty is very important to me. And now I have that awareness of like, oh, is it so normal to me to be honest because I'm autistic? Oh. You know, and I like have that lens of exploring things through. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's very important to me all the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to. Yeah, I think we've, the the thing is, I'm wondering now. I'm talking to you. Maybe we've all got this honest voice in our head, but we really try and edit it out. And and actually, the more you let it, as per Fee and Jane, and as per hopefully when I'm old and yeah, belligerent, which is what I really hope to be. It, it's about no longer editing that voice. So funny that you said belligerent because I was looking up brazen yesterday as a word and thinking, oh, that'd be brazen. That's how I feel. <laughs> But I agree. Um, you know, when you're socialised as female, we are we end up people pleasing a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And actually, when we're doing that, we're trying to uh, manipulate other people into a certain view of ourselves. So, I think being honest with ourselves about that, and then being honest about why aren't we showing up as ourselves, and like, yes, patriarchy's there. I'm all on board with that side of things, but like looking at you know, really why we aren't able to show up or, or to be honest with ourselves and with the people who are around us. Um, those are great questions to be asking, particularly as you start doing the dance with perimenopause. Yeah, because I guess my, I'm thinking it's, it's the fear of not being, of not being liked and not fitting in. But yeah, you which is normal because yeah. our brain's job is to protect us. And, you know, in the past, being rejected and being excluded from our community or our tribe would have meant certain death. Wow, that's big. It makes sense that we're scared of rejection and feeling shame and all of those things. And, you know, that's why when you feel those emotions, it can literally feel like you're dying. That's it. That's it's like it's yeah. Again, once you understand that, of course, it feels really wild to try and push against it. But yeah. yeah. But this is the thing, and what I teach my clients all the time is to how to have that conversation with your nervous system, and to just be like, yeah, I know you think we're going to die. But we're all right. It's not a life or death situation. This is just <laughs> me to ask my partner for some help with something. <laughs> Like, so thing, like, I actually asked like well what's the worst that's going to happen here and I had to do this recently Absolutely. because my brain was like really going to a place of catastrophe and like really making it very dramatic mm-hmm. about having a very simple straightforward conversation with my partner mm. and then I was asking myself well what is the worst that's going to happen here he might roll his eyes he might sigh and like and then after that point I was struggling to come up with anything and then you're like okay maybe this isn't so bad let's give this a go but it's wild that our nervous system can um can give us such a completely off message yeah and it makes makes sense why they do it but we can just decide if we're on board for that experience or not yeah and then isn't it amazing when you do it and then you're like oh right well that thing that i've been in a have my knickers in a twist about is is really not important. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my very last question is in in um, in but why the book, which I've as you know quoted you in as I try and explain periods to children in a very quick way. But, um, I asked everybody what they wish they'd known as a kid. What do you wish you'd known as a child? Mm. Oh. Sorry, it's quite, you can go with your gut feeling. So many things. Mm. I would have loved to have known that I was autistic. Mm. 
Yeah. Like that would have been interesting information to have. Yeah, um, I can. Uh, I yeah. think what most of us want to be told is like, is you're worthy. Like exactly as you are, you don't have to do anything or be anything to anyone to be worthy. Mm. I think anything else that I look at and I think that would have been nice to know or that would have been nice to be told underneath all of that is wanting to be told that. Do you think generationally, if we do inst- if we do say that out loud to our children, that's going to make a difference? I wonder whether it has to be an internal shift. I think so. I think it does make a difference, but I think you're right about the internal shift and something that I'm trying to do more is instead of telling my son that I'm proud of him, is it's to ask him, do you, can you feel proud of yourself? And to help him to recognize these emotions and to create these emotions for himself. That's really huge, isn't it? Yeah. It's yeah, been quite I'm doing in the world. Yeah, it is. It's going to make me cry because it's so true. It doesn't matter what I think about what they've done. It, it's all it's all for themselves. I'm borrowing that one. I'm going to start. Because yeah. <laughs> pride's such a weird thing to learn. And I think again, we've and I'm not going to. I'm going to wrap it up now. But we've been conditioned that pride is something about being. Well, we're told it's a, a sin, isn't it? And it's yeah. not. You are allowed to feel, feel proud of yourself. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's just such a gift to get. I think any work around emotions that we are teaching the young people around us, like whether you're a caregiver, a teacher, a parent, a family member, just letting kids know it's okay to feel emotions. All of them to feel all the emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And talk to boys about periods. Yeah, yeah all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so that they're sick of it. Uh, My kid, he's about to be five and he like talks about vulvas and vaginas, you know, like it's just no big deal. And I love that. He did this hilarious diagram, like the condensation on the inside of the car. He was like drawing on there and he's like, and this is you. And I was like, okay, so that's my art. And we're going through the body parts. This is just like a stick figure. And then there's this circle. And I'm like, what's that circle? <laughs> he said... That's your lovely vulva. Thanks very much. <laughs> Maybe don't do that at all. Of it as well, not just that there is vulva. I was like, oh, thanks, mate. <laughs> just <laughs> a little giggle to myself. <laughs> oh, my word. Sending a boy out in the world referring to his mother's lovely vulva is just a gift that keeps giving, right? <laughs> Amazing. On that, I mean, what, there's nothing else that can beat that. Thank you so much. And thank you for writing the book because I, yeah. I know it's going to be amazing. It's amazing for me. So that's on a selfish level, but for everybody. Well, thank you for an amazing conversation. I um, uh, feel, feel alive. Yes, it, it, I, it? I love it when you can get stuck into a conversation very quickly and it's very meaningful. So we'll be everyone listening as well. So thank you. I hope so. I hope so. Thank you very much. And, and for lovely Steve, who gets to hear all this stuff. <laughs> education producing this podcast and that's it another episode done and once in a while you have those chats where two people just totally connect and that's definitely what happened with Maisie and I we both touched on the fact that we um, have days when that doesn't come very easily particularly for Maisie because of her recent autism um, diagnosis and me well, just because I'm a complex human, but actually we really were vibing that day. And when I started the conversation, I, I did feel kind of, is anxious the right word? Apprehensive about um, perimenopause and menopause, but actually by the end of it, I felt super fired up and ready for that chapter. I think what I loved is also tied back into some of the messages that I've learned in previous episodes of the podcast, particularly with um, the holistic psychologist and with Matt Haig about really learning to get in touch with your body and yourself and to try and go about in a compassionate way rather than 
feeling yeah, judgmental of yourself and I think that will really help any of us who are headed towards menopause. I still can't quite believe I'm saying that. So thank you so much to Maisie for joining me and thank you to you for listening. Please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your mates all about it. See you next week.